Hello and welcome back to the Simple Faith Podcast where we are exploring authentic Christianity for normal people. My name is Dave Betts and together with my wife Sherea, we are exploring all the things that make our faith what it is. None of the churchy words, none of the jargon, just normal conversations by normal people about an extraordinary God. Today, we are talking about the church and culture. How do we respond to culture? You know, Sherea, scarily, it's been seven months since we moved from uh, Ascot in the UK to help restart a church here in Red Deer, Alberta in Canada. And boy, it's been a crazy time. You know, we started a podcast just after we moved, actually. And during that time, we've been adjusting to a new church, a new home, a new continent, seven months of you being pregnant during a pandemic. It's been a, a pretty intense time. And even though I had already lived in Canada and obviously you've grown up in Canada, uh, it feels like there's been a lot of adjustments from British culture to Canadian culture. Let's talk about some of those for a minute. What kind of things have we had to adjust to from being in the UK to Canada? Um, I would say that the big thing is just some of the words that we use. Like I know the word bin and garbage or mom and mum. That seems to be a big one for you. <laughs> That's a hard one for me. I just can't adjust to the fact that I might have to use an O in the word mum. <laughs> He's tortured over it, honestly. Um, I don't know. Other things, I guess the weather would probably be one of them. I mean, Canadian winters are pretty brutal, much more brutal than UK winters, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah, it's early November and it is minus 13 degrees already. Celsius, which is just ridiculous. Uh, it, will, it will probably get around minus 35 at certain points this year, I imagine. But on the other hand, guaranteed white Christmas. So every cloud. Exactly. I love a white Christmas. And then there, there are big adjustments as well, like, you know, the driving distances. You know, to drive to Sheree's parents is 11 hours, and that's not even considered a huge distance. Um, Christmas traditions, sport culture is so different here. Yeah, definitely. You know, you play hockey and you know Canadian football where we play actual football where you really use your feet uh, <laughs> and rugby and stuff like that and then there's some really big adjustments like the political climate in Red Deer in Alberta is very different to the political climate of um, of the UK of the south of England where we moved from I, I have to try and adjust to like farming culture and um, different focuses and values in Alberta. It's just different being here. And you know, it's a big adjustment. And this is just between two comparatively similar English-speaking countries, right? Commonwealth countries. You know, I spent three months in Singapore and that was a whole adjustment in itself. And, and here's the thing, whether you listening at home have experienced living in a different culture or not, we know that there's something really attractive about the safety of our own familiar culture. Now, we might be talking about international cultures so you know a british culture and a canadian culture or we might be talking about differences within countries so provincial or you know, interstate cultures or in england you know if you're from the north or if, whether you're from down south but and then there's other cultures as well you know how do we respond to generational cultures cultures are different we are happiest when we're in a, our familiar culture aren't we often we tend to have a little bit of cultural snobbery where we look at a culture that's different from ours and think, oh, why do they do it that way? You know, our way is surely the best way of doing it. And they've got it wrong and we've got it right. And it's very easy to be that way, to make judgments about the world around us based on the culture we're living in. But like, can we really say that our culture is the best one? You know, is my culture that I grew up in better than yours, Sharia? I, is your culture better than mine? 
No, I think we think that because it's what we're used to, what we grow up in and the systems that we um, understand. It makes life easier when we understand those cultures, but moving to a different one is hard because you have to learn a new system and a new uh, way of living and it's hard. But I don't think one is better than the other. They're just different. Yeah, I think that's so true. And, you know, we could spend a long time defining culture. I don't think we're going to do that today. I think what we're going to do instead is ask how we respond to culture. So you might want to research what culture is on your own time. But I think there's three key questions. And I've been wrestling with these questions for the last month or so um, as I, I preached in the UK a few weeks ago and then preached a similar message in, in here in Canada. And I, I, it's been something that's really been on my heart. So Shreya, maybe I'll share parts of that message and if you have anything that you want to contribute on the way through, then please do. It'd be great to hear your, your voice on some of this. But today, we're going to ask three very important questions. The first one is, how do we define what is right and what is wrong? I think that's a, a really key thing. How do you define what is right and what's wrong? Do you base it on the culture that you're in or do you base it on the Bible? We'll talk about that. Secondly, how do we balance the culture that we're in with biblical truth? You know, that's a really important facet and it's kind of easier said than done sometimes and and thirdly what do we do if we can't find a balance between the two what do we do if we can't find a balance between the culture we live in and the truth of the bible you know i think the answer is is simple in theory but it's tough in practice you know, i believe that the bible teaches us that the church is called to change culture not to let culture change its core I believe that the, the Bible teaches us that the church is called to change culture, not to let culture change its core. But we, we'll get there. We'll get there. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. Uh, it's in that chapter that we see a snapshot of uh, Paul's journey as a missionary. And he's a guy who is definitely qualified to teach us a thing or two about culture, isn't he? And you see, Paul was a Roman citizen. He was from a place called Tarsus, which is a region that we uh, now uh, associate with Turkey. He was probably the most comfortable speaking in Greek. He had a deep understanding of Greek philosophy and thought, and he described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, hugely advanced in his understanding and practices of Judaism. And if that wasn't enough, he would, was saved by Jesus into a new way, the Christian faith. And on top of that, he was someone who had spent years traveling on foot around just a hugely diverse region of cultures and uh, understandings where he shared his, his faith. So, so did you catch all that? He was Tarsus born, Roman. He was a Greek speaking philosopher who understood Hebrew thought and was a well-traveled Christian missionary. Now, like I say, Paul, I think, understood a thing or two about culture. So we're going to follow his journey for a while, starting in Acts 17, right at the beginning. It says this. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And 
When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So Paul basically goes to Thessalonica, spends some time preaching to the Jews, and some were persuaded and others were angry, and things almost get nasty, but they don't. Now, broadly speaking, that's a really straightforward passage, isn't it? But uh, let's look at that passage through the lens of those three crucial questions and see if uh, it answers any of those questions for us. So how do we define what is right and wrong? How do we balance the culture we live in with biblical truth? And what do we do if we can't find a balance between the two? So how do we define right and wrong? This is a really important question. And in a world where cultures are so different around the world and constantly changing, is there an objective, or in other words, an indisputable right? Is our, is our culture now better than the culture of the day 100 years ago just because it's newer? Or is it better than the cultures of foreign nations because it's more conservative or more progressive or maybe just more civilized in our opinion? Well, maybe, but, but maybe not. Shreya, have you ever come across a concept called relativism? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like it's really prominent, especially in Western culture. But basically, it's this idea that what's right for you is right for you and what's right for me is right for me. And truth isn't necessarily objective. It it, it changes. Is that what you would say? That's my that's what I understand of it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of this idea of, well, you do what's right for you and I'll do what's right for me. Because, yeah, truth is uh based on the person who decides that you you get to define your own truth. So you might have heard those phrases like, only I have control over my life. I've got to chase my truth and I've got to do what's best for me. I've got to figure out my truth. You know, it's all over Hollywood at the moment. Right. I feel like it has a lot to do with people's personal experiences more than proven fact, maybe. Yeah. And there's there's a problem with relativism because it sounds really great. You know, you might have heard those kind of things saying, or you might have even said those things, you know, I've got to do what's right for me. I've got to go my way. I've got to figure out my truth. The problem with that is if you follow it to its logical conclusion, it kind of falls apart. You know, what if I decide that what's right for me is to steal someone's car because, well, I need a car? Or, you know, maybe what if I decided to kill someone because they're kind of in my way and I wanted a promotion? Well, obviously, you know, although it might be the right thing for me to get what I want, it doesn't work out so well for other people, right? We know that there is an objective truth. In other words, there is an indisputable right and wrong that isn't uh, to be decided by a single person. You know, that's the, the problem with letting everyone decide what's right and wrong for themselves, or even letting culture dictate what is right and wrong, because, you know, one culture might have a different sense of right and wrong to another. And wow, that falls apart when you put a bunch of cultures into one country, right? We're seeing that in certain places. It just doesn't work. You know, in the book of Judges, the author repeatedly reminds us that everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And what was the outcome? It was a disaster. It just doesn't work. Why? Because we know that there are objective moral standards in the world, aren't there? You know, indisputable rights and wrongs. Things like do not murder and do not steal and things like that. So here's the thing. As a Christian, I believe there can only be an objective moral standard. In other words, an indisputable right and an indisputable wrong because there is an objective moral law giver. That's God. 
He is incomprehensibly great and he is good and powerful and kind and loving and all-knowing and all-seeing, all those things we regularly talk about because I love talking about those aspects of God. Only God can be objective, you know, and the Bible teaches us those objective moral standards and, you know, that's a good thing. That's why as Paul is entering this Thessalonian synagogue in verse 2 of Acts 17. He doesn't reason from his own intellect. You know, he doesn't prove how smart he is. Instead, he reasons from the scriptures. Why? Because this is our indisputable truth. 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 to 17 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul uses the scriptures to explain and share the good news of Jesus. He defines right and wrong from what the Bible teaches. And you know what? We are called to do the same. And this is really important because, you know, actually, as much as Sharia and I love sharing these podcast episodes with you, it's not about our opinions. You know, if you ever hear anything in this uh, podcast that contradicts what the Bible says, then I would encourage you to ignore it. You know, call us out on it. We might maybe we've made a mistake. So you could you know message us and say, "Hang on, what you said actually contradicts the Bible." But if you are sure that we deliberately contradicted the Bible, hey, you shouldn't listen to this podcast anymore because our job is to point people to the Bible, which is our objective truth. That's really important. So, how do we define what is right and wrong? We don't do it based on culture. We do it based on the objective, the indisputable moral standard of the Bible. Okay, so that's the first step. That's the foundation piece. The next step, Sharia, that we need to ask is how do we balance culture with biblical truth? And that's that's really hard. If the Bible is our ultimate source of truth, or does that mean that we just ignore what is going on in culture? You know, does that mean that we kind of build this little Christian enclave somewhere where we can hide from the culture that we're in? Do you think we should do that? Well, probably not. (laughs) Probably not. I mean, I know that there's lots of people out there who who do that and that's um their answer i guess for that tension between culture and following god and the bible but i don't think god calls us to do that no i, I think you're right you know if we follow through acts chapter 17 something really interesting happens you know firstly paul was really quick to go to the bible to share jesus with people but this wasn't the only thing he did now, I'd love to spend more time digging into this chapter if we had time, but that's not the purpose of this podcast. But what I will tell you is that later on in Acts chapter 17, something really interesting happens. Paul goes to Athens in Greece and he preaches to the people, but he doesn't use the Bible specifically. Well, why, why is that? Well, because the Greeks weren't as familiar with Hebrew scriptures. You know, He's preaching to Greeks, so he quotes Greek scholars and even Uh, idol altars to share the gospel with the people. And that's really key. I would encourage you to look at that passage because it's really fascinating how Paul in one chapter uses two different methods to preach the gospel. He uses the familiar culture of the people in Athens to speak into their culture. But here's where it's really important. He does it through the lens of scripture. In other words, he's using their own culture to highlight their need for the gospel, to highlight their need for Jesus. You know, in in that one chapter, we're seeing two different ways to approach the Bible. But in both, he lets the scriptures, that he lets the Bible frame his response. And that's really important. 
So what are we seeing here? Well, we're seeing that in, in that one chapter, Paul used two different methods to preach the gospel. We're seeing that Paul paid uh, really close attention to the scriptures, to the Bible, but he didn't just throw aside culture. He paid really close attention to the culture that he was in as well. And in the same way, it's really important to listen to the culture that we're in. It's crucial that we understand culture, that we understand what's happening, that we aren't just unnecessarily antagonistic towards those who live according to a different set of values to us. That's, that's how we balance culture and biblical truth. So we, we pay close attention to the culture of our day, but we do it through the lens of the Bible. Okay, so we have breezed through those first two questions. You know, how do we define right and wrong with, with the Bible? How do we balance culture with biblical truth? Well, we, we look to biblical truth first, but that doesn't mean that we ignore culture. Like Paul, we have to pay attention to the culture that we're in. But here's the tension. What happens if we can't find a balance between culture and biblical truth? In other words, what happens if they don't align? What happens if culture goes against what the Bible teaches us. Do we rework the Bible to fit it with culture? Because lots of churches have done that. There's so many examples of churches that have kind of ditched biblical teaching in favor of where the culture is. Or do we choose to be countercultural? That's a hard question, isn't it? Yeah. And I think something that we sometimes do, and I know I can be guilty of this as well, is picking and choosing parts of the Bible that we think sound good or fit with our culture and ignoring other parts that are a little bit harder to wrestle with. Yeah, it's so easy to make the Bible say what you want it to say. Uh, and that's where we have to be so careful. That's one of the reasons I'm a really big fan of preaching through an entire book of the Bible rather than just picking out verses on a specific topic, because I just don't want to say something that is my opinion. I want to say what the Bible is saying, and I want to be uh, honoring to what the Bible is saying. I think the most simple way I could say it is, is this. Because the Bible is our objective moral standard, it's our source of right and wrong, there will be times where we have to choose to stand against culture. And that's really hard. You know, look at the, the rest of this uh, passage in Acts 17. We're going to go back to that beginning passage, verses 4 to 7. Listen to this. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. You know, when Paul is speaking, he is speaking against the grain of culture. Although he had a better understanding of culture than most, he was all those things that we described before. He recognized that there was a time to run counter to culture. In other words, to be countercultural, and it caused a stir. In fact, you know, it's, it's actually likely that Paul had to be secretly pulled out of the city because of the issues that he caused. Did you notice that the Jews? became jealous. Well, why, why would they become jealous? Well, because we are talking about a moral identity issue here. And he was essentially saying that the frame in which they viewed the world right and wrong, morality, it's kind of wonky. They were missing the, the full picture. And, you know, how would you feel if someone said to you, hey, actually, the way you view your world is actually wrong. There's a, there's a correct way and you are not there. That's, 
that's kind of hard to hear. And, and it's understandable that they, they didn't react well. Now, the question is, has that changed? No. No. No, absolutely not. <laughs> we are still exactly the same. Shreya, I know you've heard this an awful lot over the last few weeks, but it's time to talk about Richard Schweder. Ooh, and the, the three, what was it? Yeah, you've introduced it so well. <laughs> yeah, okay, this is, okay, so we are joking a little bit here because I've been talking about this to death and Sherea's pretty bored of it. But, you know, it's actually a really important study and it can make a really huge difference to your understanding of culture. At least if it has even half the amount of impact on you as it has on me, that can make a really huge difference because it's been huge for me. So there is a book called The Righteous Mind by, I think, Jonathan Haidt. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. But in it, he cites this anthropologist called Richard Schweder, who studied something called the cultural variability of moral judgments, which sounds really uh, fancy. But in other words, what he's studying is how do different cultures view right and wrong? And he argued that all cultures draw on three areas. There's the ethic of autonomy, the ethic of community, and the ethic of divinity. Now, I really want you to stick with me here because this is uh, mind-blowing stuff. The ethic of autonomy is based on the idea that people are first and foremost autonomous people, you know, individual people with individual wants, needs, and preferences. And people should be free to satisfy these wants, needs, and preferences as they see fit. This is something that's a really dominant ethic in the Western world. So, so most of our podcast listeners are from the West. And so that would be our secular um, ethic of morality. You know, we strive to be individual and autonomous, to be able to do things our own way. It's why that idea called relativism is so popular in our Western world. But then there's other ethics. There's two more. There's the ethic of community that says that actually, first and foremost, People aren't individuals, they're members of larger entities such as families or teams or armies or companies or tribes or nations. You know, we see this in, uh, particularly in Asian societies in the East. So there was this test that they did, which I found really fascinating. They wrote the words, I am, and asked people to finish the sentence. In the West, they would say things like, I am kind, I am loving, I am hardworking those kinds of things. You know, they would literally describe themselves, whereas in the East, they would say things like, I am a father, I am a farmer, I am a laborer. You know, they would describe how they fit into their community. It's really interesting, right? And so you have the ethic of autonomy, the ethic of community, and then lastly, the ethic of divinity. And this says that first and foremost, we are uh, temporary uh, bodies with eternal souls and that we are responsible or we are judged by a God of some sort. And obviously as Christians, we would say that that is the Christian God. So are you with me? The ethic of autonomy, the ethic of uh, community and the ethic of divinity. And here is where it's really important. As Christians in the West, the dominant ethic in our culture is about autonomy, but the Bible is pulling us towards the ethic of divinity. Can you see that tension? You know, we are, uh, as a culture, being pulled further and further along the spectrum of autonomy. And yet, way back there in the background, we've been, uh, the Bible is calling us to the ethic of divinity. There's a tension. So for older generations, you know, life probably started closer towards the ethic of divinity. But now, uh, for younger believers, they're already closer towards that ethic of autonomy because that's where our world is going. And that causes a lot of tension. 
You see, when we choose to run against the dominant culture, there's a, this implicit statement. We're basically saying that we think there's a better way to live, which is true, but it can be really challenging for people to hear. You know, and the thing about being Jesus followers is that the way the Bible teaches us to live doesn't line up with the way that our 21st century Western culture always tells us to live. You know, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't mesh, it doesn't gel. In fact, the culture is less in line with Christian values than it has been for quite some time. And our culture would say that our, our worth, our, our value comes from our bank balance or our job status. But the Bible says that our worth comes from Jesus alone. Culture tells us that, that true happiness would come from being able to have, you know, to total control over every aspect of our lives, that we should be able to sleep with whoever we want to, do whatever we want to, that it's about looking out for number one above all else. But the Bible teaches us that as believers, we are called to put Jesus above all else, to put others before ourselves, to uh, save sex for marriage alone. Culture says that the best way to have a good time is to get absolutely wasted. But the Bible says, hang on, no, don't, don't get drunk on alcohol and lose your senses and make mistakes, but instead enjoy the wonder and the beauty and the glory of the presence of the Holy Spirit instead. You know, Shreya, I think we could go on for a while there, but fundamentally what we're saying is the world is pulling us in one direction, but the Bible is calling us to a different direction, which is why we have that tension at times, right? Yeah, that's a really tough tension, really hard to, to grow up in a culture that tells us that it's all about autonomy and looking out for yourself. Uh, but if you're Christian, then having the Bible tell us that we are accountable to God, who is ultimately our source of, of right and wrong. And yeah, it's hard to find that balance. Yeah, Sheree, you're so right. You know, it's it's hard. You know, I think... We've gone some way to try and answer this question. You know, how do we respond to culture? How does the church respond to culture? I think firstly, we take the Bible as our objective moral standard. We let the unchanging, everlasting wonder of the word of God decide what is right and what is wrong in this constantly changing world. You know, every decision we make is a step closer to God or further away from him. You know, when we choose cultural values over biblical ones we're actually making a statement we're saying hey I'd, I'd rather go my way than god's way and that's so sad because it means that we miss out on the goodness that god has for us and you know did you notice people were in an uproar in verses six and seven you know why were they in an uproar well because paul had turned the world upside down with the good news of jesus they went against the grain of culture, and they were declaring the name of Jesus, and they turned the world upside down. I think that's what we're called to do. That's what the church is called to do. That's the point of this podcast today. The church is called to change culture, not to let culture change its core. I think so often we as Christians compromise on the greatest truth in the universe because we assume that our culture is the ultimate standard, and it's so sad. We are called to turn the world upside down for Jesus, to bring hope and joy and the love of God to the world, to see God's kingdom come and to see his will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We are called to change culture, not to let culture change our calling. And this isn't always easy. In fact, there are lots of passages that tell us in the Bible that it might be really hard, but it's worth it. Why? Because the spirit of God is with us because the truth of the gospel is the hope that we have, because we get to have a personal relationship for all eternity with the king of all creation. 
because we can bring glory to God when we choose to stand for biblical truth. That's an exciting world to live in. Yeah, it is. And I mean, we've already looked at at Paul and how he got this tension, right? But we can also look at Jesus um, and and learn from him as well. Yeah, Jesus is a really good example of getting this balance right of, of biblical truth and also living in the culture in which he was in, which of course was a Jewish culture at the time. So to summarize, as Christians, how do we respond to culture? Firstly, we have to make sure that we define right and wrong, not with culture, but with the incredible, unchanging truth of the word of God. We, having said that, we have to recognize that understanding culture is hugely important and we have to listen to culture and, and you know grapple with it. But we have to recognize that sometimes we will need to take a stand against culture in the name of Jesus. And that is hard sometimes, but it will always be worth it if you are bringing glory to God. So that's it from us for this week. I think this might well be the longest episode that we've ever done. Uh, we hope you found it helpful. If you have any questions, as always, uh, you can email us at simplefaithpodcast uh, at gmail.com or you can head to simplefaithpodcast.com or you can find us on social media. You'll be surprised to find out that it is Simple Faith Podcast. We would love to hear from you. We always really hugely value your uh, comments and contributions. Um, but that is it from us. Have a fantastic week and we will see you very soon. Bye.